Hi everyone, this is Hazel Findlay and you're listening to the second part of a two-part podcast with Madeline Cope. Okay, so recording again. Hi again, Maddie. <laughs> we actually Hello. two parts because we <laughs> yeah, were yeah. talking way too much. <laughs> We've already been chatting for 40 minutes by the start of this podcast. <laughs> Luckily, I'm going to ask you about stuff that's different from what we've been talking about <laughs> yeah. um so it'd be cool to hear what you think about that film light uh, that's just come out which I just thought was an amazing film and for those of you who haven't seen it it's by Caroline Treadway and it's really just like the kind of the first like look at the eating disorders that are common amongst climbers and they're mostly female climbers in the in the documentary but Kai Leitner did did um tell his story as well and there seemed to be um it seemed to be that it was you know kind of prevalent within men as well but they weren't there's kind of like a stigma attached to talking about it maybe it's not as prevalent I don't know but it was a really good film and you just sort of pointed towards this idea that you know obviously climbing is a power to weight uh, related sport and that we do often focus on the weight part of it which obviously leads to kind of control in eating and trying to be as light as possible there's obviously like a mental and physical health cost to that and I just wondered you know it'd be cool to hear what hear a what you thought about the film and b you know as a coach and as a trainer you know, what, what's your take on kind of diet and, you know, really trying to maximise this power to weight ratio whilst keeping our health, mental and physical? Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. I thought it was really good and quite a sort of raw and brave kind of storytelling film. Like, I do, I do think there were some things where I watched the film, and this is not necessarily a bad thing, where I ended up with more questions you know like afterwards I was a bit like I would love to know what this certain person felt like this or like the setters at the world cups or like certain coaches you know but that that is not what the film was I'm not saying that was necessarily like um to the detriment of the film if you know what I mean because I think what it did really well was like show the real like humanity of it and like the stories and the people were really open and I think that having that like platform for that was really um kind of what what we needed to get all those other conversations going like all the thoughts it left me with I think that really like human um sort of storytelling kind of approach that she went for did that in a really nice way um and you know it might prompt you I think in seeing those conversations something that really like stood out to me was actually that quite a lot of people were saying they were like no friend no one asked me if I was okay no one ever said are you all right like they looked at them they could see them dropping weight like going down this pathway and what did everyone feel too awkward to ask them anything and, and I think that's basically that's one thing that's really stood with me and I don't know if that's that's like as a climber and a, just a friend to lots of climbers, but also as a coach, I think to think like, you know what, it is someone's job to feel comfortable to approach someone and be like, are you okay? Like, is this a thing 
And to have that also received by the other person in a, I don't know, like a a way that they don't feel accused, you know, of, of something. I think it's a really hard topic to broach. And I basically, I think what the film did was show us really in a really nice way both sides of that story so you know if you are going to be someone who is looking at a climate a friend or a client someone you work with and is thinking gosh they seem to that I can looking at them I, I think they might be uh, losing quite a bit of weight or or actually maybe it's just like what they're saying you know and it, they're, they're, they seem quite triggered they're mentioning their weight a lot I want to feel like comfortable in approaching that person and having a like an honest but like a compassionate conversation that isn't also um seen as like quite attacking and I think for that person you know I guess because it was say people like Emily like reflecting on it quite a few of the people were uh kind of reflecting because I guess they they seem to be in a different place right now on maybe how they would have felt if someone had approached them I think is like quite an quite interesting and um I think it's interesting because I actually have approached some people about this and there's mixed responses. And I think what that sometimes just confirms to you, which is something we all know, is that people aren't objective about this. There is quite like an emotional um, response tangled up in there and it's really complicated. And I think that it was just a really good start in us trying to be compassionate when we approach someone and maybe be also quite compassionate uh, in receiving that if it does come towards you that you know for these people it really impacted their mindset their physical health and their enjoyment I think of what they did ultimately like you know maybe they dropped out of the the competitions or like you know I think it's definitely influenced their their enjoyment as well as well their performance and I think it was interesting what you said about the um males because I think she did say that she had actually approached quite a few people and I think yeah they weren't ready to be part of the film which is yeah completely fine but it does make you wonder because I don't necessarily think it it is more prevalent in in women I don't have like this is like anecdotal I don't it's not like but I see it actually across the board and I think that that's actually something we really is really important to break down is that notion that it's this female thing and um yeah I think that in if we do that or go down that route I think you do a disservice actually to this like whole other population that need help and like the stigma needs breaking down there um yeah I guess I guess uh, you know there's a a bit of a gendered thing going on just because women have historically maybe there's been more pressure to look a certain way for women than there has been for men. Although I do think people sometimes take that too far because I do, I do think that there's a lot of men living with insecurities about how they look because they're supposed to be these like ripped dudes, you Mm. know? So I do think that we often misplace that. Um, But then the other thing in climbing, and I don't know how about you feel about this, like just personally about your own climbing and your own body, but um you know men have more testosterone and the the weight of their muscles their muscles kind of do more for their weight if you know what I mean whereas women like the the cost of having muscles in terms of weight 
maybe doesn't exceed the benefits of those muscles being useful. Um, just like thinking of kind of like the the biology of men and women. So, you know, I don't, I wonder if it's pushed some women, you know, if they've not seen the strength gains from building muscle or if it's pushed them to, to fiddle more with the weight side of the equation. I don't know what you think about that from just like your own personal body um, and just trying to like train as, as best as you can, but then also like as a coach and a trainer and knowing actually more about the biology and and the, like the physiology there. Yeah, um, and I think actually is one thing that uh, is I slightly um, didn't, didn't get around to mentioning based off from the sort of initial question that you asked is that we are a real like we are a strength to weight ratio sport and I think that the weight area can get manipulated a lot and um I think something that's really interesting just as almost like a bit of a thought experiment is that um I went to this Red S conference that Nikki Key and Rini McGregor held and they work with loads of athletes um that are looking to drop weight, you know, in a safe way for, you know, competitions. And they actually talked, there was a mixture of like dropping it for almost the performance element or for the aesthetic element, like with certain gymnasts and um yeah, certain sports, which um is sort of a little bit like you just said with that kind of more body image, like maybe a pressure to look a certain way kind of side of things but with all these people that they worked with they basically had found that to keep those athletes also healthy and performing really well you know because there is the point where if you lose weight and you're undernourished your performance will be um impacted they were talking sort of obviously depending on the initial weight of the person um of about like a two to two kilo difference or like maybe three I guess that would be like for a heavier individual where as a percentage of their weight, that would be like um, a similar sort of percentage. And I think that that's true. And I see that in a lot of climbers around me, you know, they talk about like um, dropping a little bit of weight for a peak like window of performance. And they often are talking about that sort of weight. Some people are not. Some people drop like six to eight kilos, which is so much. And someone did mention that sort of weight loss and Rini and Nikki were like, we would absolutely not say that that amount of weight loss would be healthy for this person. Um, and I think this is interesting when you see a lot of people's training and you train yourself because you go through different training cycles and like two kilos, you see how easily really you could add that and more to like your fingerboard hanging and like your weighted pull-ups and your bench press, you know, like, I think that helps keep it in a perspective of what it is. It is this minimal gain at the end of all the preparation that you have done in strength training, which is really what gives you a much bigger window for progress. Um, so in terms of, I've actually slightly forgotten the the, the, the question before what did you ask me oh, oh yeah about oh about muscle and weight yeah I remember yeah. <laughs> um so I know what you mean in terms of like a because of the difference between like the male and the female sex hormones and our physiology it may be that females gain strength and muscle mass slower 
not always. You know, I think genetics like play a massive part and you you can definitely get some guys that definitely struggle to put on muscle mass. Um, and because that maybe they see slower progress in that area, they choose to turn to a different method that they see as this other way of um, changing that power to weight ratio. Um, I, and that might be true. I don't know. When you say that, I think, yeah, I mean, that for sure like makes sense and might be something that happens but I think that if females train correctly I also see so many that make really great strength gains good muscle gains and once they're like gaining that strength of the muscle I think they can use it in just as effective a way as a man so I think it's about us just trying to look at females and how we're training them to get those strength gains and like I guess we'll come on to talk about this, like things like looking at the menstrual cycle and maybe looking and questioning about how we train females, but maybe people in general. Like, and I think that that's like where it's a really um, sort of exciting time at the moment where we're maybe starting to do a bit of that. And maybe there is some things that we can do as a community, you know, in sort of like nurturing like a culture where we like, look at strength training and all the different approaches that someone could um, use to make good strength gains if something isn't working for them. You know, it's not this like one size fits all. I know like Stacey Sims is like super famous for being like women are not small men. And, um, but I think this actually like applies across the board in that like you do have to find something that works for you. So I guess I would say to a if a female was like I am struggling to make strength gains um and they they looked like they maybe were thinking oh you know what I could do I could actually just try and drop some weight instead I think it's that we say well don't worry what you're doing right now there's so much troubleshooting we can do with it and there is you know there will be a, probably a maybe there's just a way out there or an approach that is better for you to make strength gains and I guess it's hard because it's a bit of a double-edged sword because if you start to drop the weight and you don't nourish yourself properly and you're not fueling your training strength gains are actually much harder earned because your body is um the sort of different pathways for making adaptations for training that strength pathway is quite reliant on being in an energy surplus and this is this whole energy availability thing that gets um, talked about when you actually talk about red S um, and red S is obviously like, um, you know, a syndrome with a collection of all these different symptoms. But essentially if someone does continue to push that weight element down and down, that is a syndrome that they could end up experiencing. So I think it's about, it is what that film, I guess what it was doing is it is opening up this sort of arena to talk about both the nutrition element and the strength element. And I think, I guess from my point of view as a coach, to try and get people to understand those things. I think if you understand those different processes in your body, you know, like how it's all working as this big system, then maybe people can make more informed decisions. And I mean, that doesn't get rid of this body image element, you know, and the emotional element and, you know, or like a stress element that can completely play into someone wanting to control their food from a, from a eating disorder side of things, um, which is not something I pretend to know about, you know, that more clinical side of things. 
Um, but I think it does mean that for like the whole community, we can hopefully make better and like more informed decisions about ourselves and be a bit more honest between each other as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's difficult is, you know, say say you're a young man or woman entering the sport, um, you know, or any gender. We want it, we want to include all the genders here, but um it's it's difficult when you look to your climbing heroes and so many of them are so obviously underweight. And I think, you know, I wrote a little social media post about this, which is it's really hard to talk about it in a way that is not offensive to someone, right? Because mm-hmm. in, in, in a way, like people at the top of our sport who are, you know, and also also what does underweight mean? You know, how, how do we judge that someone's underweight or not? But some people are obviously very, you know, have very minimal body fat. And we know how dangerous it is for women, especially to have very, very low body fat. And so, you know, if if we're trying to make decisions about, you know, do we do we get stronger or do we eat less? And we see people who are very, very skinny. And you know what, what you're saying about kind of Nikki Kay the, and the um, that Red S conference and about how, you know, really they're talking about safe manipulation of like one to two kilos. And I see that in my own body. Like, I feel like I've got like a set natural body weight but I can change it by like, you know, max three kilos or something and feel a bit lighter and feel a bit better, but I'm not manipulating my weight more than that, that range. Right. Um, but if, if you're trying to make those decisions and your idea of normal is a very, very low body weight of, uh, you know, um, body fat, it's difficult. Right. And, but it's so hard because how do, how do we, talk about that when you, you don't want to offend the person or this like a, t- a top climber that looks that looks the way they do because they could be a victim in the sense that they're really struggling with something you know they're just as much a victim of the system as the new climber is coming into the sport and seeing all their underweight role models right so it's really difficult and I think one thing that it, 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 you know an option that that you're you're part of in a way is that the the people who 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 kind of dominate the space in training and in coaching it's sort of like their job in a way to talk about health and to talk about like longevity and climbing and to talk about like not getting injured and talk about you know what you're you're just saying there about manipulating strength rather than just weight and finding different ways to um train strength if if one way isn't working for you so that's really cool but I mean do you have any other ideas of like how we can you know really just like on a community level broach these issues because they're really important right Mm, I mean we don't see the the, the people who drop out we don't see the people who 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 you know didn't make this work right they probably aren't climbing anymore. They, they they could be really ill. You know, we don't see the kind of like the failures, right? Mm. We see the people who turned this around, like, you know, Emily Harrington, you know, she turned it around. Now she's super healthy and she's climbing harder than she ever has before, but she's a success story, right? We don't see the, 
the the people who didn't make it yeah and and I mean I think that is part of it you sort of just touched on it there I think it's like Emily's success story and the lack of the other stories and I guess it's trying to use our community and people's voices and you know and I guess maybe one of the positives of social media and that film I think sharing the stories like the success stories that show I've actually been there at that low weight and controlling my food and the result was that I did get some good competition results but it wasn't sustainable I then got injured I was not enjoying myself I was actually really unhappy and then showing that transition being like actually this is a a another approach that I've now changed to and this is the outcome of this approach it's actually quite funny I guess from a personal perspective I get I think I came into climbing probably at one of those almost a bit after that pivotal age where I think your body image ideas have like they've been quite imprinted in you you know in those sort of like earlier teenage years and like going through puberty and stuff like that and like in all honesty like I think the body image in my head that I see as a sort of I don't know what you'd call it like you know an aesthetic like body image it is really quite slim or it has been uh for the past few years like quite slim like very I guess you'd call it feminine like not super muscular and that has made it hard for me um or like I've struggled not like not like things are really hard for me like I I have struggled from a body image point of view putting on muscle to a body that like loads of people might cut like I I get some comments on my muscle and they are being complimentary I'm not saying that these people are meaning to be like uh yeah rude or to offend me but it's more that I have to reflect on that because it does make me feel uncomfortable and I think actually over the past couple of years because firstly I'll say that I am also climbing my strongest ever now and I am I think when I moved to Sheffield and I started training I've gained about five kilos and my body has like changed quite a bit to the point where I see I've seen people who haven't seen for years and they're like whoa you look different which sort of instantly brings up in me this horrible feeling of sort of like oh my god I've like put on all this muscle I'm and I think for me, I've had to or have worked on changing what that sort of ideal is for me and like really trying to focus on what my body does and like how I enjoy using my body. And so I think to that point, it's almost like um, a little bit of a blend. Like I think it's good to see it in like media and good for like coaches and training companies to obviously promote that like that like sort of functional way of someone's body and like, yeah, that strength training element and the fact that like muscle is really useful for us in like loads of different ways. But I think it actually blends a bit with what you do. So it'd be interesting to see what you think because I think when I talk to people about this, people I work with, it's a bit like a question of what do you want and how do you want to get there and why are you doing this? Like it's it's kind of a, a motivation question. Like, are you a happier climber for losing all this weight to climb a higher number like is that like you know when someone like looks to push their weight down for a performance you know it's often because they do want that performance and and I guess it's, it's a bit of a question of what those performances mean to that 
person and what is their sort of the actual process they're looking for in climbing. So I don't know with that, do you actually yeah. ever think that you, do you ever talk to anyone about that? Because I, I think like I obviously do chat to people about it and it's, it's a bit like we chatted about last time when you talked about that, the whole mindset and the mental training element and how that blends with physical training. Um, and I think it does because I think when you do physical training, there's always a question of your motivations and like performance anxiety and fluctuations and being objective and reflecting and all these things that you, you know, you probably find in your like mental training quite a lot. And I think that sort of dropping weight plays into that as well. Um, along with people being like quite honest and reflecting with themselves on, on why they're doing something and, and what they're really wanting from it. And often, I guess, when you, you talk to people like that and they reflect, it often isn't what they want isn't just to climb that harder grade. And they realize that actually it's not worth giving up their longevity in this sport that they love. And equally, maybe they are a bit like, oh, you know what? I do this route fully inspires me. I have trained for a year for this route. I I find it like it's really intrinsically motivating for me. And I I've put in all this other work here. And now I do want to drop two kilos for a period of time to have a peak performance on this route. And then the conversation is just open and like, okay, you're going to drop that small amount of weight for this period of time. Once that period of time is done, we need to bring you back up that, you know, that needs to not become this chronic process of ever wanting to drop more weight because that is when you really run into problems. If you drop two kilos and then you come up and put it back on, you know, I'm, I'm generally about 58 kilos in the summer and 60 to 61 in the winter. And my body happily fluctuates between those. And it's, it's actually done that for the past couple of years. Um, and, you know, I think that that, flexibility there both health-wise you know, like metabolically and everything that can be okay I think the the sort of trap that we fall into or that people fall into is that they lose two kilos they send their projects so then they link that weight and losing a bit of weight with that achievement and they've slightly somehow forgotten the fact that they trained for a year for it and that, mm. that was the majority of the time and the input and so then what they do is that suddenly forms this new set point for them and they want to lose another two kilos to be like lighter because that then they'll climb harder and it's like their mind forms this linear relationship between Mm. that weight loss and that end goal and so I think a lot of the conversation is taking it away from that end goal and towards the process which I guess is a lot of what you talk about yeah yeah you said a few interesting things there um yeah, in terms of the whole mental training thing, I guess what it comes down to is like the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And really, like the whole losing weight thing, unless you actually think that you're going to be healthier and that you will, it will give you that little extra to achieve a thing that you really want to achieve. And we can put aside like, the reasons why you want to, might want to achieve that thing for now but a lot of the time if we take away comparisons to other people the whole reason for losing weight kind of falls down because if you think about like why you climb like okay to challenge yourself um to, like you know in, in, people enjoy seeing progression and they enjoy kind of like 
setting benchmarks and achieving them right that's like a, just a nice human process that we like doing and um, you know the movement being outside being with your friends um personal challenge you can you can access all of that and be a healthy weight now as soon as you want to be better than someone else or even even saying that I want to be better than I was a year ago you can still do that through training and through growing as a climber in other ways so I feel like either you know there's there's a few things of psychologically I think going on one is either you're comparing yourself to a lot of other people and either you see that they're lower weight and you want to match yourself there or you want to give yourself or you want to be better and it's just like you're not happy with the like slow healthy games right so you you want to mm. like skip ahead um or it could be like some more fundamental body image eating disorder stuff going on um but I think that like if you're someone who is kind of struggling a bit and you find yourself like you know thinking a lot about eating less and you know you're often kind of shaming yourself f- for eating um you know you can ask yourself it's like well you know what 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 are the reasons why I climb? You know, what the deep seated intrinsic reasons? Um, and let's let's like focus on them. Let's capitalize them. And we can put up a lot of the kind of the comparisons and the what other people think things into a separate box. Mm. Um, I think that's kind of interesting from that perspective. And I definitely that's come up quite a bit with people I coach. Um but I also thought what was interesting that you're saying is like essentially like and maybe this is why women struggle with this a bit more is what we consider to be feminine and obviously it's quite interesting because over the course of human history what we consider to be feminine has changed all the time it just so happens we're in a period of history where being very slight and skinny and not having muscle and not having really any fat is kind of what we consider to be feminine and I grew up that with that in school as well. And but unlike you, I you know I had muscles when I was like 10. <laughs> I've grown used to my muscles. Um so you know, I, I had to d- deal with that in school, you know, like guys saying that I wasn't very attractive because I had muscles that should only be seen on a on a guy. They shouldn't be seen on a girl. And that is something that I've had to deal with. Um, but it's 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 always saddened me that our idea of femininity sort of on a societal level is actually it's quite similar to fragility right Mm. and I don't want to speak badly about anyone who does have that figure like everyone has beautiful figures you know like I think that health should be what's important right and if your healthy figure and your natural figure is slight and without much muscle then great cool Mm. but if it's with muscle and that's what your healthy body is and that should be feminine as well right like we should be able to see all these different types of body being considered feminine or masculine um and it's just it's sad to me that it's like it just seems so I don't know it's almost cliche but this idea and it and it, we can go so deep into kind of like gender dynamics and the patriarchy and all mm. of this but this idea that like really what's seen as attracted from the eyes of a man is like not powerful it's not strong 
it's not and you know when you see this in like participation with women in sports as well is that our ideas around what's feminine are not equated with being really strong like if you see a woman doing a shot put and she's got massive muscles that's not what we first think of as being feminine but why shouldn't it be why shouldn't being strong and powerful why shouldn't that be a feminine trait um and that is changing um and it's quite nice to see women in climbing kind of embracing that a bit more um so yeah you know like <laughs> I'm kind of just like reiterating everything you're saying. yeah yeah no I mean I think I think you're right and I think something that I do like is that I do see it tra- changing and I don't know whether like it's really hard because I think on a personal level like if I was chatting to a person and they were like I'm really struggling with this you might look to curate your life to make you feel um to have more body image positivity you know you might stop following certain accounts on social media because you're like actually that's that's really triggering to me um so you know on a personal level I think there's like you know certain things you might look to do but obviously we want this to change on a community level like you said and I guess that I do think that's happening I think you do see like more diversity and like say in the comps I think what they've done is they've looked to change the setting you know you look to not sort of create this environment where being light and favoring being light over developing muscle and power is more beneficial for your sport and so I I think we like do see that there um and then I think like within the community it's funny because like I know what you said and I've definitely been like I've I've experienced and like felt this myself where I have felt that I was not didn't fit with what I felt others and I guess and I guess yeah guys that I want that they might not find my muscles attractive you know I've definitely like fallen into that trap where that is what I'm thinking and I think when we start to chat a bit more openly and I guess this is my personal experience in my like community is that like guys are like no no I think that that's really attractive and I guess obviously I have a partner and they're like oh I think that's really attractive and then as I got a bit more confident and I guess maybe this comes with age like I read a few things I thought were interesting about body image positivity and things like being naked or like looking at yourself naked in the mirror or like women being shown pictures of themselves naked. Essentially, were then what they saw was some outcomes of more body image positivity. It's kind of like this thing where like when you are shown the reality of lots of different bodies and your own body, we become we actually start to feel better about it. And I think I've, I've kind of practiced that a little bit in a way, you know, rather than shying away from wearing a certain thing or like not taking a certain mm. picture or not looking. I think if you can become a bit more like, I guess it's that whole comfortable in your own skin thing. I think yeah. we can personally look to improve our body image positivity. And I start to see that on Instagram where like lots of different people, lots of different climbers, different shapes and sizes are sharing photos and and it's hard because maybe some people find um it that still find that hard because they still look at the lighter build and wish that they naturally were like that because not everyone is Mm. some people are naturally like that and you don't want to sort of condone those people as if they have like done something really extreme to get to that body because they really might not have and Mm. I think like with the whole red s thing a big sort of idea that needs to be shared is that you 
don't have to look, I guess what we would say, really underweight to be suffering from that and to not be fueling your body well. So I think there is a certain acceptance of what your genetics and how your body functions and and in what way it's healthy. And then once you're at that healthy point, I guess you're thinking, okay, how am I going to be okay and happy with this? And there are actually ways that they've found that they can improve body image positivity. And that is things like participating in sport and like, because then you have this functionality to to be sort of focused on rather than just how it looks alongside being like being actually shown that reality of what your body looks like which I thought was really interesting yeah yeah I know what you mean I think you know it doesn't help just that you know we we talk about sort of diversity and a lot these days which is great and it's sort of got me thinking you know but like I don't think I've ever seen a film where the lead female had a body that looked like mine or or yours, right? You don't mm. you don't see the lead female at the ball with muscles bulging out underneath her posh dress, right? You mm. just don't see it. And so I think that makes it 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 slants what your ideal a certain way, right? It's like, mm. oh that's that's what beauty is. Uh that's what femininity is. Um but then, you know, when you're given this more normal array of bodies to, with which to view in media, uh, you're like, well, actually, and you know, you see, you see that now, like, you know, at the, the, the brands that I buy my underwear from, for example, all the models are different shapes and sizes. And when I look through the models, yeah. I'm like, oh, these pe- these women are just, look, they look so good, you know, they look so healthy and they're, they're not this like classic, you know and I can actually see the knickers and go actually like my bum looks a little bit like that so there's probably going to fit like this you know whereas yeah yeah it was like who knows how it's going to fit because I don't <laughs> it looks like that <laughs> it's changing all the time which is really nice to see and it makes you feel so much more normal doesn't it so so yeah so re- representation is a thing and it does matter um there's just, there's just a lot of different facets to this, isn't there? You know, there's the yeah. whole like being light, but then there's the whole image associated with it. And, you know, we are talking about this from a very female-orientated perspective, but I think that men feel this as well. You know, like, if you are a man that doesn't put on muscle, you're just like, oh, well, I shouldn't do this sport because I'm just, I'm all skinny and I don't have muscle. Or, or if you're a guy that's, like, much bigger and generally puts on way like a lot of muscle mass you might feel the same way I'm too heavy to do this sport so I do think that there's a lot going on in the the male psyche as well um I don't know should we draw a move topics think we've have you got anything else yeah yeah I think um, I think that's a good place to round it up I know what you mean with the knickers like all that you know you get shown ads now like I get shown ads and I'm like huh I'm not just being shown like the same you know it's sort of like the same body copy and pasted onto every item of clothing <laughs> um yeah which I I think is really nice and it is it's almost like now I think the movement is happening it's just like you need to keep up the momentum of it and keep pushing it and um like in the right direction yeah um uh, maybe a nice segue would be it since we're still talking about women issues maybe to talk about menstruation and the cycle and 
the work you've been doing in that area. Yeah, and and I think it blends quite well because I think you you put it well in that like we always talk about norms, don't we? And then like I guess there's always a question of what is normal and the fact that when you have this one norm, you know, clearly a large proportion of people will not feel normal because a norm can is so like such a tight constraint and like exactly that's narrow. Not, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, the norm. It's like it's like such a weird like thing because it's often really quite a small. <laughs> yeah like construct and you're like oh it's funny that that would be norm and then there's like norm violations which you know are then just linked for us to just often a more negative feeling towards something and that's why when you push for change at first you often get a bit of kickback like I've definitely had it I've had comments and people messaging me and with like negative comments towards muscle and so like what they're seeing there and what they're reacting to is a bit of a norm violation you know I don't if you don't fit what that person expects they they do often have a, a more negative reaction to it um and yeah I, I think that the same sort of comes with menstruation because it's like been the norm that we don't talk about it and so for some people when you start talking about it they're a bit like Ugh. <laughs> um, but that's not a reason to stop and I think actually if you like push towards what if you reflect on what normal should be and you see this different vision of normal, which is like a place where, yeah, menstruation and talking about menstruation is like a comfortable thing that we can all do. And I guess, especially in like training and climbing in a two-pronged way, like the health. And I guess like, you know, what we talked about uh, with people manipulating their weight a lot, potentially to the point that they are impacting their health and their menstruation can be a sign of that and any irregularities or like dysfunction there. But also like just a performance and well-being side of things where um, we, we might be able to like actually work with someone's physiology a bit like from like with their menstrual cycle. And I guess that's what a lot of people in quite a lot of different sports are doing now. Yeah. And I think it's all about like kind of changing the idea of what we think normal is and even what we think a normal menstrual cycle is, you know. You'd like lots of people now are opening up and it's really different for everyone. And so I think it's this really kind of nice um, sort of example of the fact that normal is really, I don't know, it's quite hard to pin down. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I think that one link actually to what we were previously talking about and menstruation is I guess that a lot of women don't have what you'd call a natural cycle because of contraception which is then masking the the clues that your cycle gives you about your health so although we've got obviously a very variable uh, experience of what the menstruation cycle looks like for us um it's still going to give us some indicators of our health so if your cycle suddenly disappears and you've had quite a regular cycle previously, that's going to be an indication that maybe you're overtraining or you're not eating enough or something has gone awry with your health. But because obviously so many women are on contraceptives, which remove their period or at least disrupt their cycle in some way, we're not getting that information. So I guess like, you know, what would you say about, contraceptives because 
we're sort of both kind of natural cycle proponents, aren't we, in a way? Uh, we both we both experience different contraceptives and now we both have a natural cycle and I think we're finding that the natural cycle is better. But obviously a lot of people don't want to do that and they prefer contraceptives. So yeah, what, what, what's your kind of feel of this quite difficult area? Um, there's obviously quite personal, quite emotional, um, but also it, you know, very health related right that you know the, the the consequences of getting this wrong are actually kind of serious so I think we should be able to speak about it in those in that tone yeah um and I think I think you're right I think contraceptives and the choice of contraceptives or whether you can choose to have a natural cycle is like a really like personal choice and so my personal experience is that I tried a few different forms of hormonal contraceptives and Actually, like, one of the main things for me, it, I think some people ask me, like, oh, gosh, will my climbing performance suddenly go down if I start using a hormonal contraceptive? And I'm like, I mean, obviously, I, I have no idea if that person, but I'm like, probably not necessarily. Like, for me, it wasn't that my climbing was the first thing I was thinking about when I was deciding to come off my hormonal contraceptives. It was actually, like, a bit more my personal life and my libido. And this is a really common um, side effect of, hormonal contraceptives which is kind of ironic in a way because <laughs> you're, you're using this hormonal contraceptive as like for me it was just a really nice way to have a lot of freedom and obviously uh, not be stressed about unwanted pregnancies like in my relationships um and, you know and that's something that like you know your intimacy that plays into your well-being and and it's really important from a body image perspective as well it is kind of quite interesting because I for that reason decided that I would actually try coming off it and and I did notice for me a few different positive changes one of which was like libido and I also actually felt better in myself sort of like mentally I guess like motivation wise for the majority of my cycle you know I might also have a few days where I I don't feel as good and I reflecting back I was like oh I felt much flatter on the pill which is also just like quite a common um, thing that people report feeling. And so for me, that's had a really positive impact on my life. And I also feel like it's really hard to untangle, but I feel a bit better since learning a lot about it as well, about my body in general. And I think it's played into my body image positivity because I think it's a little bit like um, focusing on functionality of like, your body and muscles when it comes to muscle and being like what do we think is like amazing about this body that's got muscle and you look at like what they can do and you're like you know you could find that really inspiring rather than just looking at what it looks like and I guess with my body in like a natural cycle I've been a bit like god this is like amazing like what it's doing and it's yeah I think in learning about it and sort of nurturing that in myself because I think some people think a natural cycle isn't amazing I think it's really mm, like not nice yeah, yeah it's a hindrance and so I think yeah like um getting to understand my body and like developing that body literacy has had a really positive impact on my body image and just how I feel about my body in general but I think for a lot of people I could do chat to some people who do experience like really heavy menstrual bleeding or like really bad um cramps or you know pain or like quite a sort of severe like fluctuation in how they feel 
with a natural cycle. And, and yeah, I'm not a doctor. So then they might find that a hormonal contraceptive is l- like really life-changing um, mm-hmm. as well as also obviously people who just really want it for um, avoiding pregnancy. And then I think it's just a question of being quite um, in tune with how you're feeling and whether it's working for you because there's loads of different options, right? And I think what I've anecdotally heard a bit of is people go to the doctor and I guess they don't feel like they are listened to. And actually this month the uh, in the, in England, they are, the government is calling for, it's almost a bit of an appeal for women to report their experiences if they feel that in the mm. medical system, they, mm. I don't know, have had their, concerns not listened to or you know something's been overlooked or they feel like something has not been taken seriously like that's actually this month I think because obviously it's been international women's day because that's happened a lot with me yeah and so like I like we know lots of doctors right and I know lots of doctors that are really good and like but I I guess in our medical system historically I, I think some female health stuff has slipped through the net a bit and that maybe people don't get the I don't know yeah the sort of attention that is needed and the the detail to their like well-being and life that in conversation that is needed when it comes to choosing their hormonal contraception and you know hopefully that will change and I guess I think that's just something for people to be aware of in terms of going to the doctor like armed a little bit with maybe things that are really important in your life and things that or if you start using a contraceptive to be like actually it's not working for me for these reasons like can I try something different um yeah uh, yeah it's, it's difficult I mean I feel like in 10 years or, or longer I don't know I think I think we should have seen it already is like some proper research some proper longitudinal research into the mm-hmm. mental health effects of some mental health and physical um effects of some of these contraceptives because um you know the the pill made me absolutely crazy (laughs) like it was really not good for me and I went and told my doctor that and said okay I want to try something different and they like totally gaslit me and were basically like that's not a symptom of contraceptives that and you can read the back and the list of possible side effects included some of my side, you know, some of the things I was experiencing. Mm. But they're so primed to, because obviously population is such a problem, right? Overpopulation. They're so primed to err on the side of giving people the contraceptives and, and not giving people the responsibility, the personal responsibility to not get pregnant without the contraceptives, right? Mm. And, I do see that. Obviously, well, overpopulation is a problem and unwanted pro- pregnancies are a problem as well. Um, but at the same time, it, these these side effects are so consequential for your well-being. You know, in some mm. cases, you know, in some cases, the side effects that, that women are experiencing are, are really important. Um, yeah, and I think, I think something that's quite interesting as well is that what I see a lot of and what I think happens a lot is that the contraceptive pill is often prescribed for things other 
than uh, wanting to prevent pregnancy. And in some cases, that might be really valid. Like it, it might like really help with certain other conditions. But also in some cases, I think what we see like a bit of a movement now, like I see it a lot like um, from people like the Well HQ and like, you know, um, quite a few like little organizations are forming to try and educate on the matter of women's health. And it's the fact that if you go to the doctor and you have heavy menstrual bleeding or you have, um, you feel like you're really suffering from PMS symptoms or really bad cramps or um, or you know, or you go to the doctor and you're not having a regular cycle. It's that maybe the first step there should definitely not be for a doctor to be like, "Oh yeah, we've got this um, hormonal contraception. We can put you on this, and it'll bring your na- your regular period back." And that's that's happened. And so I guess like that sort of linking back to menstrual dysfunction, maybe when it comes to um, low energy availability, um, say in athletes, and they're really pushing for people to understand that taking a hormonal contraceptive is not a way of bringing your cycle back it is different and that has been done for a lot of years and obviously to the detriment of people's health um and even like with really severe symptoms I mean it's hard I don't think my symptoms are that severe and I can completely get if you're experiencing symptoms that feel like they're really disruptive to your life you want uh, an answer to that Mm-hmm. but it's just I guess I see a lot of organizations are trying to educate and explore other ways to deal with that and other reasons that might be the underpinning of why you're, that is your experience it's like putting a plaster on something isn't it really like mm-hmm. you're not actually I mean when when your cycle's disrupted there could be it, like, it could be trying to tell you something it could be your own way your body saying to you to do to change something maybe it's to eat more or you know maybe it's stress and so mm. then just put it taking the pill you're still stressed and there's still going to be an impact on your body but you've just masked the symptoms so it's quite yeah. difficult and obviously we're not doctors so <laughs> we shouldn't make draw too many conclusions but I do think that we, we do need some some better research on this mm. yeah um, I think it's just to be like to sort of go in knowing like a bit of a wider breadth of how you might tackle something rather than like, um, yeah, like maybe a bit of a one size fits all approach. Because I also know loads of people, right, who take the pill and they just think it's great. Mm. And like that's fine as well. Like, you know, kind of good yeah. like if that like really works for them. But then you also hear of some people and it really doesn't. So I think what even if a lot of research is done and it shows that in whatever percentage of people taking this form of contraception there's these side effects there still might be a percentage that doesn't so I think it just and this is the same with like loads of the menstrual cycle research in sport as well it's like I think we really need to just think about the individuals and be like looking to have good information out there to try and not necessarily prescribe a certain way but just to allow like more um, sort of options that like mean that you can accommodate the great variety in people that we have. Yeah, I guess knowledge is power, isn't it really? And just mm. say, if someone's saying, oh, the pill's great, that's fine. Maybe that's the best option for them. 
But if they don't realise that it isn't masking their natural cycle and that they think that the bleed in between the pill is actually their period um, and they don't realise how, you know, like Mina was fine on the pill, right? And then mm. when she didn't get her period back, that's the, it's only because she stopped taking the pill that she realised she had red S, right? So if we don't yeah. have that knowledge, we can't make well-informed decisions about our health. And unfortunately, our health system, at least in the UK, I don't know about other countries, it doesn't tell you anything about that. <laughs> you know, we don't, I didn't know about that until I only know about it through climbing and through, you know, just thinking about health from a, from an athlete's perspective. Right. And, but all women should know that. Um, but yeah. Again, it's like it's quite a, yeah. It's an interesting conversation because we've like chatted about it quite a lot at work and started trying to merge together just ideas experience research like none of this is an exact science right all you want to do is try and like increase the amount of information out there and get the conversations going and find out what the breadth of experience is and I think there comes a little question that we talk about which I think is fine where you're a bit like whose is this our place like you know I guess like some there is a there's a realm of like performance in the menstrual cycle and optimizing around that but then there is like really quite a big question of like health and well-being and contraceptive choice which is it's quite like a medical thing and I guess that you don't want to overstep you need to know some boundaries there but I guess on this like community group that we have people put quite a lot of questions there about that sort of stuff because I guess they're not finding the answers yeah from their doctor and you know I guess they could change you know I think there's some amazing doctors out there so they could change their doctor but that's not always an option and yeah I I think you know for us I mean it's such a complicated thing like doctors they only have so much time like with a person and so I think there's just like a so many like yeah systemic things that are quite hard to change but I do think it leaves us in a place where actually right now personally I like to be quite well informed on things that I guess if I went to a doctor I would think as a quite a medical set of tools or bits of information but I kind of feel better knowing them myself as well when I'm like thinking about my own personal like climbing or health yeah for sure well let's move on to talking about the cycle and performance Obviously, I would say most women, I think, are on some kind of contraceptive. So with that in mind, you know, a lot of the research is done with women on a natural cycle, right? Um, Mm. And I've really enjoyed being able to track my cycle and from like a training perspective, kind of fit my training in around my cycle. Then also from like a psychological perspective, I just feel it feels so nice to track my mood with the cycle, to track my emotions with the cycle. And then, you know, every month when the period comes, it's like it's like starting a new phase. It's like Mm. it's just like this weird feeling of like, okay, cool. It's like starting a new week or starting a new month or something. It's like but but more so because there's all of this physiology. Um it is cyclical right whereas like a new week is just this arbitrary time point right so (laughs) yeah I guess you know firstly maybe give us some information on how someone might go about trying to 
their time, their training with a natural cycle, and then maybe talk a little bit about women who are on contraceptives, if they can do this at all, um, and how they might go about it. Yeah, I, th- I think you put it really nicely there as well. Like I think tracking, um, I think for a lot of people, it's great, obviously, um, from an information perspective to know your dates and it can help just like maintain like objectivity. But it's also a bit like you said, it's a catalyst for actually maybe monitoring and reflecting a bit on how you feel at certain parts of the month. So I do think, and this is what it's been for me personally, I think it's just been something that I've started doing that has actually just got me thinking about how I feel and my training and my climbing and seeing these patterns emerge. And I'm like, oh, that's actually like pretty cool. And then there's like small changes that I've made just to work around that. And so then I guess overall, like my experience is just like quite a lot more positive. And I think the things that, I guess I'll maybe I'll just like use my like what I've found useful as a starting point is um sort of realizing that at certain points in my cycle I do feel slightly more ready to do like certain training sessions and actually for me before my period I always thought that my sleep was randomly really bad for a period of time and then I was like tracking and I was like gosh it's actually just always in the week before my period, it gets way more disturbed. I'm really hot at night and like agitated. And obviously, like if you don't sleep well, you don't recover as well. So quite a lot of people talk about feeling like more fatigued or getting in the week before their period. And I do feel more fatigued, but obviously I don't know whether that's necessarily, that could have been, that could be because of my sleep. So I find this like a really good time just to like have that deload or rest week which, and I think this is really important to point out, that is what lots of people will have in their training anyway. It's not like you're doing some like crazy new thing. I think some of the feeling I get with talking about the menstrual cycle and tracking and adapting your training to it, to like sync it with it, is I think, do people call it like the athlete mind? It's like this feeling that you're failing at something or you're you're, you're dropping out like you're not doing training that you should be doing uh you know you're not yeah you're not like completing things but essentially like we all need this period where a training load is reduced and that might be some part volume some part intensity that'll all just depend on you as a person and so it's just taking that and putting that in line with your cycle at a point that for you feels harder to maybe access like that really like high end of performance or that it just feels a bit like slower to recover or a lot of people find that they're like coordination's a bit off things like that so it's just about taking that time when you would be doing less training anyway putting it in line with that time in your cycle so that during the other parts of your cycle you can be getting the most out of your training and So I think that's like the sort of the first step that for a lot of people that I've chatted to, that's brought about most benefit. You know, you almost think about like, um, they call it like the low hanging fruit, just like the change that you can make that's like simple and it probably just has the biggest change for most people. And when I talk to people, that's the thing that they really find, like the tracking itself, they find really powerful. 
in terms of getting to know their body, as well as like, I think it helps to be able to be objective about performance fluctuations. You know, I think we've talked a bit about this and like training is not a linear progression. It will always be like, there'll be ups and downs. You'll always have like worse training sessions for loads of different reasons, like menstrual cycle aside, just like stress or whatever. But what you want to see over time is obviously a gradual progression in things. And that just shows that you're like providing enough training stimulus, but you're also resting enough. You're also fueling enough. Like it's just, it's working for you. And I think when we do have maybe like, I've had some sessions where like, I do feel quite sluggish or my coordination's off. And I think because those often lie in that certain bit of my menstrual cycle, it helps me be more positive about them because when you are in that moment, I think you often react as if this is like a permanent state of rubbishness. You know, you're a bit like, oh my God, my coordination's so rubbish. I'm like terrible at this. And that's like this sort of static statement. Whereas like the menstrual cycle is just very much not static and it's like always moving on. And I think that that in itself and a bit of that sort of knowledge is power. I think for some people, even if they make no change to their training, they're like, oh, actually that's just been really helpful. And then I think shifting, if you are like following like more structured training, shifting things so that you can deload around like a certain point where for you, you on a regular basis, you see that pattern of certain um, like symptoms that impact your climbing and training. If you can align that, that's really great. And then you might also just find, I've done this a bit, that there are certain things that you can work around. So like, I think my coordination is like, it goes a bit off and it's not my high point anyway. So (laughs) it's like, I want to get the most out of it. But I actually really like doing some like basic weight training. So it's not like I can't train strength just because I'm not feeling great on a moon board. It's like there's other ways of training strength. So I think that's like some of the more finer details that if people are interested in sort of going a little deeper, those are some of the things that you can also start to do, like actually choosing the sessions that you maybe do at certain points in your cycle. Yeah, it's it's tricky for me because like we always, I want someone to tell me like do this at this point and do that at that point but obviously it's quite personal isn't it and um I think there's some general rules like the Stacey Sims talks about some general rules doesn't she of like do sort of endurance at this point and weight training at this point and um and then there's also what's the time of the month when you may be more prone to injury because of elasticity and stuff yes that's maybe around ovulation so essentially often like when you look at the research and the theory and you pull really general conclusions it's that the like follicular phase can be quite good for strength training and strength adaptations um for a number of different reasons like there's some evidence for like you know um substrate um changes in terms of like what your body uses to fuel exercise there's like recovery and the sort of um positive impact estrogen has on muscle protein synthesis there's like all these little snippets like areas of research Mm. and bits of theory in terms of like the hormones actions on the body and you can draw general ideas from those and one of those is what you said about ovulation and injury risk especially like with soft tissue and 
the laxity. So you have that spike um, in estrogen that surges before you ovulate, sort of helps bring about ovulation. And with that, because estrogen is um, active in your soft tissue, because there's receptors there for it, and what it does there is it makes your soft tissue a bit more like lax. Um, you know, I guess you can imagine obviously things wanting to open up as you get pregnant or something. And so your body's like preparing for that, um, that potential. And this has been linked to um, sort of things like ACL injuries and footballers is like mm. something that's been looked at a lot. And then your luteal phase. So after ovulation, the period of time leading up towards day one of your cycle again, like day one of bleeding is where both estrogen and progesterone are high. And there's like loads of studies in this area, some of which show this could be a beneficial time to focus a bit more on endurance because of some of the actions of the hormones, one of which being that progesterone, like we slightly go into this, it's called like a glycogen sparing mode. So we slightly favor using fats in exercise. Fats are used in our aerobic energy system. So it may be that this type of exercise feels more accessible and we maybe perform better in it. And I think that's all great, but I think that there's a lot of caveats to have with the research in that there's so much variation. So there's been a couple of reviews recently of the research that just highlight the variation, the differences in like methods used. And I don't think that's a reason to not experiment with all these things and to take some of these theories and form ideas and try them and see if they have a positive impact from an experience point of view. Because one of the things that the research is looking for, which I think is quite interesting to almost just, to just think about, is looking for significant differences, like statistically significant differences within groups of women, um, you know, that they might do certain performance testing with at different points in their menstrual cycle. And, you know, we're all really different. And they, when they sort of tend to like average that over this group and they come out not finding any statistical difference within that group, it might have been, there might have been a significant difference for four people and there might not have been for the other four. And it's, in my mind, I'm just like, well, it's funny. We look to provide this uh, service, I guess. Like when I work with someone, I'm like, oh, this is it's individual service. That's what makes it really interesting. I really want to look at what this person needs. And then we look to research and we say, oh, there's no like prescriptions. There's no general guidelines we can use. Um, but maybe that's okay because when everyone's individual anyway, you know, it's a bit like, are we trying to fit a square peg into a round hole by using research in this way to find general prescriptions for a population when it's also individual? So I think, I mean, I think partly we, what will shift is how the research is done and how you look at mm. the data and the differences because I think another thing that, and this is throughout like a lot of sports performance um, research probably is that statistically significant and meaningful for an individual or in a clinical situation like race times. Like there was this um, study looking at race times for swimmers over the menstrual cycle that found no significant difference. Yet when they looked at those time differences in a race scenario, 
they were meaningfully different in that race scenario, you know, because that would be like the difference between like first place and like eighth place. Because the differences we're looking at is often under 5%, which is that statistical difference. So I, I just think it's interesting to sort of think about how we're going to approach applying our knowledge in this area, the research that we do have and the theory to an individual when like so much experience will play into it. And and I guess I've been thinking about this a lot because I would like to do some research into this area. And when I work with people, you have to like, I have to balance that research and how that's approached with wanting to make just like a meaningful difference within a community, say the climbing community or to an individual and how you're actually going to inform that. Because ultimately, I'm not sure we'll we'll get to a point where there's just a piece of research and it says, yes, X, Y, and Z at this Mm. point in your cycle are definitely what we should do. It's like nutrition, isn't it? It's so weird, like how we know so much about the human body and we've sent people to Mars or not people, but robots, you know, but we still can't tell everyone exactly what to eat. You know, you still got vegans who will say that the vegan diet is the best diet. You've still got paleo that will say paleo is the best diet. You've got people who say keto is the best diet. Why don't we know yet, right? We should, like, in, when I think about it, I'm like, we should know. Um, and so, you know, maybe there is a lack of knowledge here. Then also maybe it's, we're too variable when there's too many variables in a biological system, maybe we won't know ever definitively, you know, we'll, we'll increase our knowledge, yeah. but we're not going to know exactly what sh- someone should eat at exactly the right time and be able to tell that straight away in the same way that we won't be able to prescribe training to someone's specific menstrual cycle. Um, yeah. And, know, it, and it's, it I think it's to be personalized. Yeah. And it's being okay with that. Like, I guess that's the thing. It's like, we, I feel like you said you want someone to tell you that you should do this at this time. And I think as a society, we often want that. We want that with the nutrition. And I guess what I've sort of come to realize or sort of shifted my way of thinking on it a bit is that I'm like, huh, we're all like really individual. We are so complex even within our bodies, obviously there's loads of variation, but then like in our lives, like this is part of obviously what makes sports science research really hard to do because you take however many people and you might look at something in the lab, but ultimately the bodies of this whole system. So what they're doing outside of the lab or what they've done growing up training wise, like this all makes a difference. So Mm. I think what I've tried to do is like, take this quite curious approach with it and been a bit like research will always be there as part of this, um, you know, a piece of the puzzle along with mm. like, so it's like research, research and practice. And then there's like slightly more theoretical research about like the mechanisms in our body. And then there's just the theory of like what we know about hormones, theoretically, they might do this in our body. And then there's just this person and like what their experience is. And like, I think what's interesting about it is it is that how you work best, I guess, as a climber or as a person is like looking at all of those things and it's not getting like rabbit hole down one. 
I, so I guess like I hope to be able to like give advice in this area and if I only looked at research and was like I want to see concrete research before I'm willing to say or advise on any element of this I'd be waiting a long time right there would be no (laughs) there would there would be no advice (laughs) because I think that there's just always going to be a lot of difference between the individual and a group. And that's why I think you'll start to maybe shift towards looking at case studies or something like that, um, which will look in a lot more detail, potentially at fewer individuals. And that will glean you information for those individuals, but you will still have to then go away and think, okay, for this person that I'm working with, they are not this person who took part in the research study, but in what ways might they be similar to these different cases that I've seen. And based on that, what do I think is the best thing that we can try um, right now? Like I I actually had like quite an interesting discussion with a colleague about a similar sort of thing, not actually in the menstrual cycle, in a different sort of phenomenon and concept in training with essentially them saying like, I don't think that the research is there to say X, Y, and Z. And they've got a point, right, that there's lots of different studies and there's variability in results and some studies are better than others and some are more applicable to climbing than others. So I think it's really hard to look at the research as a whole in that area. And instead, what you look at is some bits of it that you think are most specific to the people you work with or the scenario that we're often in. And then you also just look at loads of different experiences and you kind of blend the two. And with that, I guess I hope that, or what's been positive for me, and I think, and I've had really positive feedback from people I work with, is to make that an open discussion. Be like, this is, I'm not saying this is like some pathway that like definitely gets you to this bit, but what you're doing now doesn't seem optimal for you. So let's try one of these things. These are the reasons why I think something like this might work. Um, so much is trial and error, right? <laughs> yeah, and it, and it, yeah, I think it's been for twenty years and I'm still still doing trial and error. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, and and I think that like it's funny because you'll always get different people. Like some people really value research; they want that backing to say like this a hundred percent. Like I feel like this has this solid foundation, but some people actually don't. Some people don't care about research at all. And they really want the experience of the person. That's what they like really value. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I guess I just think sitting somewhere in the middle is really like where we can yeah. make make the most progress, I guess, in this area. You know, like when you think about what you want to achieve, it's that we want to progress things in this area so that like as a community, there's not a stigma attached to menstruation or talking about the menstrual cycle that we might be able to explore some ways to make training really accessible and work well with a natural menstrual cycle. Maybe that will actually make training more effective for females, or maybe they'll enjoy it more. Um, And maybe they'll actually get some better results as well. And I think if that's your aim, then I don't think you can get, you can fully rely on research as much as we yeah. still want, it's an important piece of the puzzle and we want to progress things in that area. But I think you will always, there'll always be such an experience and sort of like individual element. Yeah, I think more important, I guess, is that if, if you do want to optimise that or 
learn more is just is the trap is the first thing really isn't it yeah there's not really and, any and point in, in the research isn't going to fit or inform you until you track anyway right because you still got to relate it back to your experience yeah and it's sort of one of those things like you know like the saying like if it's what is it I'm going to say it wrong now if it ain't broken don't fix it is that right yeah yeah. yeah. So, so like, you know, say for someone, um, they've got like a natural cycle and they're tracking and they say, gosh, I actually find that like the quality of my strength sessions really like takes a bit of a dive uh, in my luteal phase. And I also don't think I'm making the strength gains. Yeah, I, I don't seem to be improving in this area as much as maybe I, I feel like I should, you know, maybe looking around you or whatever. So I guess in that, scenario someone is sort of saying this isn't working for me as well as it might do so you're like okay well let's look at that tracking information maybe for you um prioritizing strength and making a bit more of a focus in your follicular phase when you can might work really well and then in your first half of your luteal phase you might taper that a little bit do a bit more endurance do a bit more whatever and then you might have a rest week and for them that might then really help with their strength training or you might look at how you arrange your training within the week or within a session you know there's loads of troubleshooting things but I guess ultimately what is now coming out in the sort of female athlete community like not just in climbing you know just like as a whole is there actually it's open enough to say oh yeah actually there's these elements of my training that aren't working for me so let's like look at that and there might be someone else who um actually their strength training is going really well the quality of it isn't impacted at all but they're um they feel pretty good but their coordination just actually drops off in the week before their period so for them maybe it's a bit more everything can stay the same and maybe they can just do some like basic training exercises rather than like that more high coordination like climbing you know climbing is so complex maybe that's just like a small change they can make and that I guess that's just how it would yeah be could be different for different people but I guess ultimately the tracking allows you to see if there's anything you need to solve like I I think you you don't have to try and solve a problem that's not there yeah yeah totally I think as well like what we haven't really touched upon but maybe we can we can wrap it up though anyway but it's just there's the sort of the physiology and then there's also the psychology isn't that it's like although this kind of training might actually be optimal to do from a physiological perspective I actually really don't feel like it I really don't want to do it I feel gross <laughs> you know or like yeah, yeah. you're in a mood and actually you just want a and in front of the tv or whatever right so there's that part of it too and actually what crops up for me more in in what I do with my coaching is like I work with people who are finding climbing stressful um, and tracking in that realm is really useful as well because you know if we're trying to like do graduated exposure and you go out and every day you expect to build on what you were doing last week but you're in the part of your cycle where you feel more emotionally vulnerable and you feel like your um, tolerance to stress is lower you're not going to have a good time right so we sometimes mm. need to modify our expectations around um stressful stimulus um 
just from a psychological perspective and I, I found that yeah. with tracking as well like sometimes I just go climbing I'm just like you know what it says it says that I'm in this part of the cycle and I also feel like I'm in this part of the cycle and actually I'm not going to go and try and onsite this really hard trad route today because I really just don't think I'll have a good time doing it yeah um, so there's that there's that part of it too yeah and I mean I think it it all actually merges into once I think what you're saying there is completely right it's like for me at this point this stress is actually too much and what I need is to use a slightly different level of stress to sort of be in that right challenge state you know to be there and enjoying my experience and I think that just works across the board and I think what you said really nice is it's being okay with that and being sort of ready to adjust to what is best for you at that time like you know we might like say say I guess you've talked nicely about the experience side but also in training like there might be a certain you know say for you on the moon board you might have been like trying a certain problem it's like got a grade attached with it you're like using that in your session you get there and it's like you maybe it's a certain point in your cycle and that actually for you at that point is not really the right level to be the right challenge because you've feel more tired or like you're slower to get going whatever that reason is it's just been like okay I can actually achieve the right level of challenge by just using a slightly easier bowl the problem and I guess that's where like what we've talked about in terms of almost mindset and like Mm -hmm. focusing on the intent of that session and being like what do I actually want to get out of this session what's that feeling that I'm looking for what's that challenge that I'm looking for and you can just choose the load or the stress based on that and or the other option is that you think, oh, you know what? Maybe this is just not the right time for me to even do this thing. Like you were saying, like on site that route, you know, actually maybe it's mm-hmm. more of like, it's not adjusting what you do. It's actually a behavioral change to be like, actually in my experience, it is better not to try my scary on sites at this point. And I'm just going to do them at another point. And right now I'm just going to go and do some like bouldering mileage with my mates. And totally, yeah. Yeah. And and I think, I guess that's where I think that they're the sort of cultural aspect and try, like almost like trying to change the culture around menstruation and PMS as well, I think is important with that because, you know, we've chatted like quite a bit about psychology, the physiology, like this is all very real to us. Like I, I understand this, but PMS does have a cultural element to it as well. And, you know, there's even you just look at words like saying like, oh, she's really hormonal. Like that is like a negative phrase like, mm-hmm. and often like has negative connotations to it. And I think the more that we talk about menstruation and the whole menstrual cycle and people share their experiences and stuff, I think hopefully that sort of culture and that sort of thinking will dampen down because we'll be looking more at the whole cycle not with so much emphasis on PMS and these like few days like before your period or a week before your period and we'll also sort of get to understand the hormones and how positive they are in our bodies rather than you know rather than like because being hormonal like this is such a funny term I've seen like lots of people bring it up on Instagram it's like we're all so hormonal because like our entire like it's like they're the chemical messengers of our whole body yeah they're like we're we're hormonal all the time and everyone's hormonal (laughs) yeah yeah we've somehow linked being hormonal to being 
agitated or like a less optimal being or like like a worse version of ourselves and I think that's because we've zoomed in on this like one small snippet of time within a menstrual cycle you know rather than learning about it as a whole um and yeah so I think almost like shining some light on on all the different phases and things like this it could be it's quite positive in that way yeah for sure yeah there does need to be a bit of a cultural shift but I definitely feel like it's happening um I I don't quite like the variability of the cycle honestly it brings a bit of um yeah yeah change and interest yeah yeah Angus my boyfriend he's just he's just always on the same level you know he's so predictable (laughs) (laughs) yeah like I've actually found like it'd be quite interesting actually I don't know whether you've chatted about this with Angus but like I have talked about it a lot with Ollie I mean he might be slightly sick of hearing about it but I really like almost wanted to through learning through it and like wanting to be really have that like positive relationship with my body cycle I I think that sharing it like with your partner or with I guess also like men you know like that don't experience it themselves um is quite an important step because I think that plays into quite a bit of say what we're talking about before like a bit with like the the medical side of things Obviously, like historically, doctors have mostly been male. So it's not that crazy that a certain elements of female health maybe are slightly less understood or dealt with in a slightly different way. And I was actually like listening to this other podcast on PMS and the cultural element, and it looked at different um, relationships in terms of like heterosexual versus homosexual and how... Uh, premenstrual syndrome and the symptoms related with the menstrual cycle were sort of experienced across both. And so obviously it was not the female same-sex relationships. Uh, you know, they don't experience less PMS, as it were. But they felt more supported and like their experience of their cycle was better. And obviously in that relationship, both people have a menstrual cycle. Um, I don't know, this was just a podcast. I've not read into so but it's just an interesting sort of idea that I was like, oh, maybe if I actually just chat more with Ollie about it and like people like maybe I will just have like as in as a sort of couple, we'll have a slightly like better sort of approach to it and some of the changes that can happen, like, you know, and just like keep that sort of quite positive sort of um, feeling, even if like I'm crying at something (laughs) or like I've gotten a bit like moody because he's sort of like yeah understands it too and it's it's been quite good yeah I I think that talking about things generally makes them better doesn't it to some extent obviously you could talk about it all the time (laughs) um yeah I think I think talking about it really really does help uh well what do you think we've been we've been talking for a while and I'm conscious of your time so uh, yeah what do you think to wrap it up yeah yeah and I mean I think I'll just end that I think it's important for that as well I mean obviously I guess my partner is also a coach but like climbing and coaching within climbing is quite male dominant and mm. so I do think it is like important for everyone to engage in understanding this and it being like this thing that as a coach you learn about like it yeah, is it's part of your sure. like along with like 
you know, muscle hypertrophy and like energy systems, like this is something that is, is just naturally on that list alongside those things. And I think that's definitely yeah. like happening in other sports. And it's just, it's mad that it's not being right. I feel like if men were the, the, the sex that, that had the periods, you know, like we probably mm. build religions around it or something. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but instead, because of the history of, of gender, um, it's this thing that we just don't talk about instead. You know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's changing. So we, we have mm. cause to feel positive about it. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, thanks so much for this chat. No chat. problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm sure you'll be back on at some point, maybe to talk about something specific at some point. It'd be really good. Yeah, that'd be awesome.